0: Track and field fans, this weekend's going to be amazing. American record attempt potentially in the 10,000 for Grant Fisher. Loaded Tokyo Marathon on Saturday night, primetime U.S. with the world record holders, including Elliot Kipchoge, Sarah Hall going for the American record. We don't have time to get to it today because there's too much to do. We'll break all of that down for you on Friday. On the Friday 15 bonus podcast, we will get you ready for this amazing primetime Tokyo Marathon. The American 10,000 record attempt. Join today the supporters club. let's run.com slash subscribe to get the Friday fifteen bonus podcast. Let's run.com subscribe.
1: The <laughs> barrier once thought impossible is now Usain Bolt, look at the time. The Europeans say that he hasn't really been in a war yet, but this boy's got to believe in him. And somehow, she's found the acceleration. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. The USATF Indoor Championships are in the books. And we have a lot to talk about there. Ellie Paria St-Pierre missed the team, then made the team. Donovan Brazier was DQ'd, then he wasn't DQ'd. And Cole Hawker made the team twice, but isn't running well indoors at all. In Boston, Josh Kerr negative split a 348 mile. Mary Kane has gone pro again. This time in the triathlon, and down goes Yard and a Goose at the ACC Championships. Plenty of action to discuss. I'm Jonathan Golt. I'm back from Spokane. I have Robert Johnson back from the Heps in New York, and Weldon Johnson, our third co-host. Who did you go anywhere over the weekend, Weldon? Or are you just watching track from your couch? Where are you up to?
2: Had a big night out of a town Saturday night, John, with the wife. But after the track meet, the track meet was over at seven, then we went out, had some fun, read the recaps. You and Steve did a great job Saturday.
1: Thank you. I mean it was it was a fun meet. Were all the races great? No. Actually say on the men's side they were fairly predictable. But that one way to start the meet on Saturday with the women's fifteen hundred, big upset, Heather McLean, Ellie Paria Saint Pierre doesn't even make the team. I enjoyed visiting Spokane as a city. I thought it was a nice host. I, you know, Overall, good job. Enjoy going out there for the USATF Championships. Robert, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least say hello to you since you are the star of the show, right? This podcast. How was your weekend in New York?
0: Thanks for asking, John. This is the voice of the Ivy League, back for my ESPN Plus broadcasting weekend. I had a good weekend. I'm getting a little bit old. It's fun to see, though. Bunch of the old guys I used to coach at Cornell, but you know I'm not used to staying up till eleven o'clock. That's a joke. I do stay up late, actually, normally working on the website, but I'm just happy to be healthy, John. I stayed in the Airbnb to save money near the armory, and the woman's boyfriend is a was bragging about being unvaxxed and did a lot of 420 type stuff, so i survived onto unscathed.
2: John, that was the biggest problem of my weekend. I just looked it up. The armory is 39 miles from my house. I thought the Heps were in Boston. Nope. 39 miles away. Rojo made no attempt to come see family.
1: I mean, if only you ran a running website that contained this sort of information on its homepage that would let you know the Heps were in town, well, then maybe then you would have been able to reach out to Robert.
0: If only I had been invited, John. What do they say? Never to invite yourself with a young family struggling to balance work and play. And I actually looked. I, the problem was I took the train up there. I looked at it. It was going to be a $125 Uber one way. So if I'm trying to save money by staying in a sketchy Airbnb so my son can afford to go to college in 18 years, I just have to forbid my contact with my genetic equal.
1: All right, well, I'm just going to skip over the part where this host of yours was bragging about being unvaccinated. And let's talk about actual running because plenty to discuss from the weekend. So USA's, that was the big one to me. I mean, again, Robert had an interesting stat in the week that was. Some of the performances at college conference meets were just inarguably better than they were at USA's. Like, if you look in the 400, Robert had this stat. Donovan Brazier ran 46 1-4 in the 400 final at USA's. He made the team, though he's now not actually going to be running the individual 400 in Belgrade, but he finished second in 46-1-4. That time would have got him lost in the SEC 400-meter final. So part of that is that's how good the SEC is, and part of it is, you know, indoors you don't always see the very best of the best in the country. But we did in some events, and the first event on the schedule you know, in terms of the TV window and finals was the women's 1500. And that t- to me was the race of the meat because you had a loaded field. We had all three U S Olympians from last year. We had Josette Norris who was third in the diamond league final and ran three fifty nine, And I, I think everyone just figured Ellie Paria, St. Pierre, she has been unstoppable ever since Shelby Houlihan was banned. No Americans Really come close to beating her in this event. She's just run away from everyone. She did it at Milrose in January. Why wouldn't she win this thing handily? And I was watching it and she went to the front. I was like, okay, this is exactly what I expected her to do. But I kept watching. I'm like, why isn't she dropping anyone? It was kind of weird to me because I'm just so used to Paria St. Pierre pulling away and it didn't happen. And then we get to the last lap. I'm like, all right, she's still going to be okay, but she might get. Beat by Norris here. Norris was still in second. Then somehow Heather McLean, her training partner, she's in fifth place with 110 meters to go. Just picks it up, mows everyone down. And Paris St. Pierre, she's coming down the home straight, She kind of she knows Norris is there, but then she takes one sort of look over. I think she's like, oh shit, I'm not in a battle for the win. I'm in a battle for top three, top two. McLean's your winner on the outside. The terrific twenty nine seventy one last lap. Josephette Norris second. Ellie Paris Saint-Pierre 100th of a second behind Norris. She gets third. She's off the team in her favorite event. An event I think people thought she would have had a shot to medal at, at the World Indoor Championships. She's not even on the team. I mean, what was your guys' reaction watching this race, finding out the result? Because I was stunned.
2: I was surprised by the result, but she didn't run that well. I wasn't that impressed. I think... I don't know if she thought it would get be easier. She got a little nervous. I, I'm just not sure what happened. I, but I nice victory by Heather McLean. Josette Norris beat her too. But I don't feel like they raised their game tremendously. I feel like... Ellie was off her game.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the bigger takeaway here. And we saw the next day, Paria Saint Pierre closed in twenty eight eight to win the three thousand. She looked totally back to normal. So there are a couple of things that go into it. I do think Heather McLean deserves credit. Like she kicked her way onto the Team USA last year and ran four hundred two. So running four hundred six shouldn't really be so shocked that she can do that. But there are a few interesting things to emerge in the interviews after this thing. First of all. Heather McLean said she had an organ removed after last season. Like, there was an article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, it had taken her a little bit of time to recover from the Olympics mentally and emotionally and physically. You know, it's a big high. She makes the team, wasn't expected to make the team. And then coming down off of that, you know, it took her a little while. But no one thought she was going to look, did people really think she was going to make this team after she finished seventh at Milrose? She had 428.05 in the mile. I guess she was second at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, but she got beaten by Paris St. Pierre by eight seconds at Milrose and by Josette Norris by seven seconds. And we knew that Paris St. Pierre was going to take the pace here. So I'm like, how would she be able to make up that much time in four weeks of training? And we learned a few things. One, McLean, yeah, McLean had this organ removed. She didn't even say what it was, but it definitely hampered her, you know, training coming into starting the 2022 season. Now she's starting to see him back to normal. She closed really well. And then Paria St. Pierre said, you know, she didn't get into specifics, but she essentially said she wasn't really feeling like herself on the race. You know, she wasn't as sharp as she normally was. And, you know, didn't really want to say exactly what was going on, but something was kind of up on the day. But also I think she kind of thought she had it in the bag. And didn't realize that McLean was so close to her. So there are a couple of things going on. We saw the next day she was back to normal. She looked like the Ellie Purrier that everyone has come to know. But yeah, I think those are my two biggest takeaways
0: from that. I didn't really have a strong reaction because I was pretty busy this weekend. So I just went to the website and could tell that you were stunned by it, John, just the way y'all wrote the article. But I'm still confused about something. Someone had an organ removed? Like what organs can you not live? And why are we keeping this a secret? The medical privacy in this country is driving me absolutely insane. Like, if you're a professional athlete and you want to use something as an excuse, please have the courtesy to tell me as a journalist in the public what it is. That's all I'm saying. There aren't that many organs. Is an appendix an organ? Does that count? That was why I was wondering. Is it an p- appendix? Did she, did she donate a kidney
1: to someone? Like, I feel like most of your organs are pretty vital to living, Right.
0: It's gotten so bad. The Ivy League coach told me this weekend that they're not even allowed. The trainer cannot tell them what injury somebody on their own team has. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And they're like, nope. They're like, maybe we'll get an official typed up report that says lower leg injury. But it won't say, like, they have an Achilles injury. They don't want to reveal too much medical information because – I'd gone to this coach for sympathy because another coach wouldn't tell me where a certain athlete was. They're like, they're not here. I'm like, are they injured? They're like, they're not here. I'm like, are they on the team? They're not here. They're like, our school is very particular about this. I don't want to lose my job. I said, are they enrolled at your institution? Yes. I said, okay. And then I'm like, do you expect us to have them back on the team next year? They debated saying that. The answer was yes. So all this privacy shit Is killing my job as a journalist. People need me to give them the inside scoop. Now, for that other thing, John, for PSP, I'm not going to get myself canceled, but some women have it every 28 days. Is is that what you're guessing?
1: I don't know, Robert. I don't want to speculate about that. But I just want
0: to say, look, people
1: are entitled to a degree of medical privacy. You know what a hysterectomy is, Robert? It's when you have the uterus removed. If that is what happened to Heather McLean, and I have no idea that it was, but I'm just saying, if that is, she's entitled to keep that information to herself. Robert Johnson is not owed an explanation when that happens. You don't deserve to know that if an athlete gets their uterus removed, right? A uterus is,
0: John, basic biology. A uterus is not an organ.
1: I just googled it, and it says that it's a hollow muscular organ located in the female pelvis between the bladder and rectum. That sounds like an organ to me, according to MedlinePlus.gov. It's an organ, Robert. And so are you, are you saying that if she got her uterus removed that you're owed an explanation? No, you're not. And I have no idea what she was removed. If she doesn't want to talk about her, It. that's her prerogative. I just think, like, you demand to know everything about all of the, these athletes' private lives. I don't think we, we're owed an explanation about every single thing.
0: I don't give a shit about their private lives. I just want to know about how their private life is impacting their public life. I would just like some concept, you know, of what's going on. Like, she told us find- she had an organ removed
1: and that it affected her buildup. That's what no, we, okay. she told us that. I think that's a good enough to know. She had a surgery. It's affected her training. That I think that's, that's good. I'd like, look, would we like to know more? Sure. But if she's not comfortable sharing, I totally respect that.
2: For the record, the appendix is one of the 78 organs of the body, according to MedicineNet.com. Also, the skin is an organ, according to this list.
1: I knew that. I knew that. Wait, we have 78 organs? Okay, so I was thinking, oh, we need every single organ to... I bet there's like five or six that you can take out and you can just go on living just fine. 78? I didn't realize there's that many.
0: Should we offer a free pair of shoes for a medical expert to list? to Come up with a spreadsheet. All 70 organs, these you must have, these maybe you can get away with, and these you definitely don't need. We write an article. This would actually be a great article. We could make money about this, Weldon. This would be one of those, what they call it, green content that always is good. Evergreen.
1: <laughs> Which organs can you live without? I do feel like that would be something I'd, I'd like to know. I, wanted, yeah, I want a ranking of most to least exen- essential of all the body's organs. Okay. Anyway, back to running. I found this whole 1500 thing interesting because you know, it it makes the next day so much more interesting. Like going into the 3k, it was already going to be pretty good if, well, I guess it's if Paria St. Pierre, if she won the 1500 and then she's going up against Monson in the 3k, I would have been pretty pumped about that as well. So either way, I was going to be very excited to see that 3000, but I wanted to see how she responded and she responded really, really well. Basically just sat on Monson, Alicia Monson, I think she part of her was a little hesitant to really up the pace. Like she ran 831 at Milrose, and she was leading this, but she didn't push the pace that much. She wound up running 843. And I think she was just worried without the pacemaker, she wouldn't be able to run, you know, low eight thirties, which is probably what it was gonna take to win this race. So she backed off a little bit. She still got her spot on the team, but over the last lap it was no contest. Purus St. Pierre closed in 28.88. One won by a lot two full seconds and then after the race gave a very candid interview because on saturday after she got beat she did not start to talk in the mix zone which you know part of me is like oh i wish athletes would i'd like athletes to talk after every race i think that it's just you know you got to handle defeat and victory and still face the music but at the same time when an athlete does blow off the media, it shows at least that he cares. Like, USA Indoors, some people are t- taking this meet seriously. Some people skip it entirely. Ellie Perrier got beat, and she was pissed off, in her own words. And that at least shows me, okay, this this seriously matters to her. I <laughs> At least someone at this meet cares about this thing. So she comes back the next day, and she's like, yeah, you know, she was still, still mad about getting left off there. She said, I don't think I've had such a fuel on my butt if I hadn't if I had lost the 1500. And she said she had to talk to her husband about it the night, you know, on Saturday night. It kind of helped her get over it, get through it. But she came back and responded brilliantly. And, you know, 28-8, that's pretty darn good. That's great closing speed. I don't know if she'll be amongst the medals because there are some Ethiopians who can... Yeah, really drop it down in the three K, but I, I was impressed by how she how she ran on Sunday in that three thousand.
2: And John, for the record, it's Ellie, right?
1: It is Ellie. Alicia Monson, I believe, said L in the post race interview, but I've been covering Ellie Paria for a while. Mark Coogan calls her Ellie. He's her coach. It is Ellie Paria St. Pierre.
2: Wait, how did you see the post-race interview?
1: I spoke to Alicia in person in Spokane.
2: Oh, I thought you meant the NBC. Because I think I, I was like I heard someone on NBC or CNBC call her L, and I was like, oh my gosh. We're sort of known for butchering names. We've been getting this one wrong. Don't worry.
1: I think you guys still have a chance to screw it up if you try hard enough.
2: Take offense, John. Just grouping me <laughs> is the same as Robert. Identical twins. We're different people. Discriminated against all our lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. You got the white sons of a Yale member of the, you know, Ivy League elite. You guys, I'm, su- I'm sure you've sp- faced a lot of adversity in your lives.
2: John, we're from the West. We're from Texas. People a little more independent than you East Coast elites. But there you go. Playing into the stereotype, John, once again playing into the stereotype. But back to this race or the 3K, I was about to say I like her chances better for meddling in the 3K. I'm not sure if that's accurate because if they just run a run away from her at Worlds and run like 720 or 825, that'll be a huge test. But slow race, I like her chances. And her clothes wasn't there in the 1500. So, Michael, like, well, maybe she can just kick better for whatever reason in a 3K than a 1500. I mean, it might be her best event right now.
1: Well, alright, here's a question for you. Who has a better chance to medal in the 1500? Ellie Paria-St. Pierre? Sorry, in the 3000. Ellie Paria-St. Pierre or Gabriella Debut stafford
0: I think it's Debut stafford Doesn't she have better PRs at every event?
1: She does have faster PRs at every event. She's run 1431 and 356. And just for comparison, Debut stafford Closed her win at the New York Grand Prix in twenty nine oh four, so it's a little slower than Paria Saint Pierre. But her time was eight thirty three. Paria Saint Pierre ran eight forty one. I think GDS. I would give her a better chance to medal than PSP in the three k. But I think they both in with a shot.
0: Yes, you'll know, act like the medals. You're debating whether they're going to be in for the medals. Yes, it's very interesting looking at this. I mean Kenya. Just basically takes off world indoors, I mean U.S. and excuse me, it's just indoors. I'm surprised that the forty thousand or whatever dollars for first doesn't motivate them. But the top, if you look at the world indoor list, women's three thousand, Daniel White Siam eight twenty three, Ejgayu Taya of Ethiopia eight twenty six, then it's Alicia Monson eight thirty one. So basically, you're going to have two Ethiopians and GDS and PSP, and then for the fifteen hundred mile. It's basically... Well,
1: it's Gudolf Sagai in a league of her own right now. She's run 354. The next fastest time is 402 by Exumor and by Emporia St-Pierre, who's... Paris saint is not going to be at World Indoors. I do wonder if, like, Safan Hassan, would she just show up and run it? Like, are we going to get... I don't think Kipigon would run it, but like... I haven't heard word whether Hassan will show up and run this or not, but obviously if she does, she would be the favorite immediately.
0: Right. But in 1500, there's only like one unbeatable person right now that we know is going to do it. So I think there's more medals available in the 15 than the three. So I, I think she did see her medal odds going down a little bit by not making it in the 1500 versus the 3000. But big picture wise, what does this remind me of? 2019 USA indoors. I'm sure Walden doesn't remember what happened, but John's got like a photographic memory. What happened there, John?
1: Shelby Houlihan won the 3,000, and or the two-mile, actually, I believe, and everyone assumed she was just going to double up because she had done it the last two years, and she comes. Oh, actually, no, I think it started with her losing the mile to Colleen Quigley. I mean, she won the two-mile, but she got beat by a training partner, Colleen Quigley, in the mile, and then she won the two-mile the next day. So, Robert, that's actually a terrific analogy because basically the same thing happened, here. yeah.
0: Yeah, um, and nobody saw that one coming. So, did, uh, What I'm interested in though, John, is you're the boots on the ground. Has anyone asked Josette Norris, do you regret running the 5,000 at the trials and not the 1,500? I mean, to me, she didn't compete in the Olympic 1,500, but I almost want to call her, if you are Nagusa's Olympic 1,500...
1: No, whoa, there. hold on, no. What are you talking about? Josette Norris is not an Olympian in any way, shape, or form, Robert. That's a ridiculous argument.
0: That was a joke, people. But if she ran that race, I'm convinced if we could go back in time with the timing and put her in the 5000, I think she would have made the team last year. So does she regret doing the 5000?
1: Well, I'm hindsight's 2020, 20, I'm sure she does, but you got to think about this. She was pretty she was favored to make the team in the 5000 and I just think she didn't respond well to the heat. And I think if you put that race 70 degrees at or you know, 60 degrees at night at Stanford, I think she probably makes the 5K team too. I just think she didn't spawn well in the heat, but yeah, in retrospect, you put her in that 1500, I think she makes the team ahead of ahead of McLean.
0: Speaking of time machines, I was talking to a 10 or 11 year old recently. The questions they asked, they asked some things they don't ever think of. If you could have a time machine, would you go back in time or forward in time? I only thought you could go back. I never contemplated going forward in time to see the legacy I've had and Impact I'll make on this world when I'm president and stuff like that,
1: Robert, If we're talking time machines, I could do an entire podcast on time machines. You, you, go backwards time travel's impossible. I'm sorry. I know people talk about wormholes and all this bullshit. I'm sorry. You can't go back in time. The past is the past. But if you can get close to the speed of light or travel at the speed of light, you can go forward in time. You just can't come back.
0: So I, it'd be. I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How can I go forward in time when it hasn't happened? So that you 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 believe in pre, what do you call it predetermination or your whole iceberg? no like
1: Einstein has proved this Robert you can't like you can go forward re, like time basically slows down relative. Have you seen Interstellar? No. The, they explain it all in Interstellar. They go to this big gargantua place near a black hole, and there's time dilation. They come back, and now he's basically he's a lot younger than his his daughter that he left on Earth. Spoiler alert: Interstellar, but. That forward time travel is possible.
2: They also said the Vax would stop the spread. This doesn't seem possible you can go forward in time, John.
1: I mean, re- you guys clearly aren't fam- haven't read your Einstein. I mean, that's your homework assignment. Forward time travel, it's possible. But I think traveling at, you know at the speed of light, that's not really... Humans haven't figured out a way to do that. That may not be possible. So anyway, back to running...
2: Is Crystal Palace going to win the FA Cup this year, John? Can you tell me?
1: I certainly hope not, but if they keep getting... They'll probably, you know, the way that draw's worked out so far, they'll probably get drawn against Boreham Wood in the next round, and then they'll be in the semis. So, who knows? Anyway, all right, women's 800. I don't really know if there's much to discuss here. RJ Wilson's just... It's like death and taxes at this point. She's won eight US Indoor titles. In the last nine championships. The only time she got beat was she got tripped in the 600 and fell on her face. So I don't even really chalk that up as a defeat. And, you know, it helped that the two Olympic medalists from the United States last year were not in this meet. So, but my question to you watching this race is, Aj Wilson, she's looked in control of these 800, all her races she's won, she's run this year. She's won them. But she hasn't run com- particularly fast. So, do you guys think, hey, she's going to be able to summon something big, and you know, run sub sub two, be able to get on the podium at World Indoors, or is this like, is she really just like too flat, and this is a little bit
0: of fool's gold? Uh, I have no doubt that she's going to get on the podium. I'm not concerned about it at all. I mean, I don't, uh, I've got a big doubt that she can touch Keely Hutchinson, who's run one fifty seven twenty. Won the British trials of the four hundred last week. But do I am I worried about Natoya Gol? Halima Nakai, who are both one fifty eight. No, I think she's in the mix with those with those uh, those two women. There's four women I see battling out for the three medals, most likely. I think Ajay's gonna get a medal there.
1: Yeah, I think you got the right handle on that, Robert, because she closed her last two hundred in this race. In twenty nine point one four, she looked good. She has beaten Ghoul head to head at Milrose, so I see it the same way. I don't think she's touching Hodgkinson, but it might be that she's got a third straight silver medal in this event, which would be, you know, pretty tough, but also a
2: testament to her longevity. I mean, she just deserves props for winning eight of these in a row. We just take her for granted. I mean, winning in sub above two minutes to me like it's just like oh like I want to see faster times. But eight U.S. titles. She's twenty seven years old. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. Oh, it's
1: phenomenal. She hasn't. I saw this stat somewhere. I'm you know or maybe no, maybe I came up with this one. I don't know. I saw a stat somewhere. She hasn't missed a world team since twenty twelve. Indoors or outdoors, she's made every one. That's pretty impressive. I mean, just you, you got to hand it to Aj Wilson, the consistency, and Derek Thompson for always getting her ready to compete.
0: I need to correct myself. Healy Hutchinson did not win the 400 at the first trial. She was second, 52 42. Winning time was 52 37. All right, is that enough for the women? Can we turn to the men? Yeah. We'll spend a lot of time talking about Cole Hawker's double, I'm sure, but can we just start with Bryce Hopple? I thought he was sensational. I mean, he won by one full second. That was super, super impressive, and I think, without a doubt, he's America's best mid-D or distant, you know, 800 gold medal shot for World Indoors. Men or women, you're saying? Yeah, who else would be higher?
1: Well, you could say... Well, I think Wilson is more likely to medal, but I think she's less likely probably to win gold. Like, the men's 800 is just such a crapshoot indoors. Bryce Hopple is a good racer, but... Bryce Robert, do you remember Bryce Hopple getting stumped by Mar- Mariano Garcia at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix last month? It's not like Garcia has gone over to Europe and destroyed everyone, like... The men's 800, it's really hard to make the final. There are a bunch of good guys. Bryce Hoppel did crush everyone in this race. I thought it was good, but... And I don't think there's one overwhelming favorite in that event like there is in the women's 800, but... I don't know. I don't think he's, like, obviously a, the best shot, shot for gold.
0: John, you have to Garcia's chopped liver. He went over to Europe, won and leaving. Now, he did get beaten in his own Spanish championships last weekend, but... He is the world leader. Right, making the final, particularly in the mid-side, is harder. But I still think he's our best bet for gold.
2: I mean, nobody's run under 145 this year. I do like his chances the more I think about it. And, John, you're forgetting the loss at New Balance Grand Prix, the ribs, the ribs, mysterious rib injuries that are plaguing runners everywhere. He hurt his ribs that week.
1: Yeah, Robert's probably mad, though, because he didn't say exactly how he hurt his ribs, so he hasn't told us enough, even though he told us the specific injury. But anyway, no, this this was dominant. Like, this was going into it, I thought, look, if Hopple's at his best, he's better than these other guys. He's a 143-2 guy. Isaiah Harris and Shane Strike have never even touched that kind of level. And they're good. They're, they're absolutely, like, no jokes. They've both been running well this year. Hopple's destroyed him on the last lap. So, yeah, I think I, I, I'd i either say him or Paria St-Pierre in the 3K are the best shots for gold. I might be my, more inclined to say Paria St-Pierre just because I have more confidence she'll be – she's one of the very best in the world. But if the Ethiopians run like in the 820s, I don't think she's going to be able to touch that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough for me. But certainly a gold medal threat. Remember, he was fourth in the world championships in 2019 outdoors. So I was really impressed by him.
0: Some of it's just the nature of the events. Like, 800, there's no superstar. The 1500 for the men, you're going to have Jacob Ingebrigtsen, probably Josh Kerr, more on him later. Plus, you know, Samuel O'Farris. They even got a Kenyan in the 1500. Apple Kess, Kip saying is pretty talented.
1: Uh, whoa, whoa, back off there. I don't, Josh Kerr's not running well indoors. Oh, right. Well, we'll get
0: into that. I don't know if Ingebrigtsen
1: is. If Ingebrigtsen runs, obviously, I mean, he's going to win. But I don't even know if Ingebrigtsen's going to do it.
0: I can't believe I just said Josh Kirk because I'm about to go off on that in a minute. And then the 3,000 is you're going to have two ridiculous Ethiopians. I'm not sure, potentially three, actually, if they get the wild card, which would make it next to impossible. Then you've got McCall of Spain. So that's going to be tough for any American, particularly since our best people aren't going.
1: No, here's my bigger question. All right. We can talk about Cole Harker in a second, but are any Americans going to make the final in the 1,500 or the 3,000? Our team that we're sending, Josh Thompson and Sam Preikle, they were second and fourth in the 1500 at USA's. Neither of them have made a Worlds team before. And the men's 3000, it's Emmanuel Bohr and Dylan Maggard. How many of those men will make the final in their event?
0: Wait, stop, 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 stop. What about when he was third at USA's? If you tell me that he's skipping out our world indoors, I'm going to shut down this computer, throw it through the window, and, and never do this podcast again.
1: Well, fortunately, you don't have to do that. No, Robert, the reason why Henry Wynn is not going is because he does not have the World Championship standard, which is 339.
0: I should probably still throw this computer through the window. The, world Athletics has got to get rid of these dumb standards. They are so stupid. Like, based it on the year before, well, we, we're going to announce which countries, how many spots you get. And just let them pick it. Or just give the U.S. the max and everything. Can he pick up points to get
2: in, John, from doing well at USAs? They're, they they do get
1: to... I think they'll base it on world well rankings if they can't fill the field, but USATF is going to... If they have two athletes with the standard, which they do, Sam Prakel and Forth has it, they're just going to take those and not let it come down to a chance. I mean, can I play devil's advocate here and say that 339 flat, and or 355 in the mile, which is the... You can qualify in the mile as well. Those times aren't particularly hard, and if he had taken a real run at getting that, I'm sure Henry Wynn could have accomplished that time this season.
0: What he run last year? I'm going to look this up, John. He, he, he's got the outdoor standard from last summer. That doesn't count? No. This guy ran
2: 334 last year. Yo, I'm actually looking up. I said...
1: If he got, if he took a run at it this year, I'm sure he could have gotten it. Well, he actually he ran. I forgot he ran the Milrose Mile and he ran 4:03. You know, if you run 3:54 in that race, he'd be on the team. But he didn't. And then outdoors, it's really tough. You can use an outdoor time to qualify, but you have to run sub 3:33. I mean, that's freaking. That's not even. I think they want to have people racing indoors. So 3:39 is obviously easier to hit than three. 355 in the mile but no one runs the indoor 1500 of the usa's i mean cole hawk has set the meet record at this meet in the indoor 1500 and he ran 33909 so that shows you how little you know a some of these races have been elevation in albuquerque b people just don't run, run this event that often
0: this is just such a joke he runs 334 last year flat 08 gets fifth in the olympic trials he runs one of the World Indoor Tour events. He runs Milrose, doesn't have a good day, goes to USA's, gets in a position that he should qualify. can't go. He doesn't have a standard. <laughs> and why is our sport unpopular?
2: Yeah, this is everything that's wrong with the sport. He should get the, the points. Third place, the U.S. championship or whatever, should get him the points. The U.S. should be able to pick who it wants. If, if you have more than... If your country has more than two people and has a national championship and has a qualifying race, you should be able to pick the top two from that qualifying race. Game over.
1: I, I agree. Because look, the whole point of the entry standard system is to make sure you're not just sending someone who's totally unqualified that's going to get their ass kicked at the world championships. Henry Wynn, he ran 334 last year. He just got third at USA's. We know he's not going to get his ass kicked. Like, he's not going to embarrass the country by running at this meet. So, right. he clearly, like... In a just system, he'd be going, but instead it's Sam prakel And you guys have dodged my question. I want to know how many finalists are the U.S. going to have? Between Emmanuel Bohr, Dylan Maggard, Sam Prakel and Josh Thompson, how many of those guys make the final in Belgrade? One. I think Josh Thompson, ooh, he's he's got the good kick. I think he'll make the final. Emmanuel Bohr, if he gets in the right rate, I mean... I could see Bohr or Maggard maybe maybe making it. I don't think Sam Prekel will make it. Sorry, Sam. I, I'm going to say two. I, I think they'll get two finalists. I could see one. I'd be surprised by three and shocked by four.
2: Yeah, I'm going up to two now, John. My initial kick thing was Josh Thompson's got a good kick. He can make it. But I think Bohr can make it. I, I don't know the exact qualifying, but just get in a fast race. Hang on. Get in on time.
1: Right. I, I would also not be shocked if it's zero, though. I honestly wouldn't looking at this team like just none of these guys have ever made a world championship team before on the track. So, and will any of these guys make it outdoors? Thompson could make it in the 1500 Bull might make it in the five K or 10 K. I don't think the other two would, I wouldn't be stunned if there's zero Robert, do you have an answer? How many do you think will make up the final?
0: At least two, maybe three. I'm not feeling as down as you. I want to praise these guys. Can we can we talk about this? They're going to represent the country. A lot of other people are not. And all of this qualifying times and people skipping out world indoors needs to be fixed. Like, where's the leadership? Can Max Siegel like somehow talk to Sebco about these times and getting an exemption for the U.S. or something? I know people don't like it when the US gets a special rule, but if we're going to send two, write it so that it doesn't look like you're making the rule for the U.S. And then in terms of people skipping this meet, like I think we should do this, John. Reach out to Jerry Schumacher. Reach out to Pete Julian. Reach out to these coaches, the coaches of all the people who don't even do indoors at all. So I don't want to rip the people who actually did go to a couple meets, did run USA indoors more than the people who don't even do indoors at all, like Sydney McLaughlin and stuff like that. But if the meet was moved up, would they go? Is it just the tight window this year? Is it, you know, I mean, it's a I get it. It's a I mean, but Jacob Ingebrigtsen is going now. I we guess don't know response, that. Is he? Yes, he's going. The response to that would be that Jacob Ingebrigtsen doesn't have to wor- worry about qualifying for the team at his national championships, you know? So I, I get it. He can just run and show up. But we've got people like Josh Kerr. I mean, is he really at risk of not making the British team outdoors? He's not going. I guess it's pot. I mean, I don't know. Let's talk about the 1500 and the 3K first. Cole Hawker obviously winning those events, him deciding to skip worlds, and then we can talk about that bigger issue as well.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if there's that much to say. I mean, the 3K, it was Cole Hawker against a bunch of distance guys, like Emmanuel Ball, Dylan Maga, and Connor Mance. They went 2 3 4. They're all like 10K guys or cross country guys. I just, was there any question that Cole Hawker was going to drop these guys and lost? 200 which is what he did he just blew him away Twenty six six nine lost last lap i don't know if there's more to say it than that yeah but he didn't like i know he ran 13 flat but in a race for the winning time 747 he's not going to be able to run away from cole hawker what, what i did think was a good sign boar is a guy we saw it in boston and we saw it in his record attempts in virginia beach last year he would be able to push himself very hard, but he wouldn't have anything left to kick off of at the very end. And I, w- I wondered, I'm like, is that because he has no kick? Or is it because he was just maxed out, he went out a little faster than he could manage, and he was just totally spent? And I think it was more the latter, because if you look, he did close in 2762 for his last lap. You know, that that's it's not amazing, but that's, that's not bad at all. So... That kind of encouraged me that he does have a little bit of a kick when the pace is slower. But yeah, he's a good runner. But did I did anyone reasonably expect Cole Hawker to lose this race? No. He delivered. It wasn't very close. I don't know if there's that much to say
0: about it. I don't I don't like John's attitude. Like when he 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 takes it ho hum when someone who's expected to win does win. It's like not worth talking about. But then when for some reason, he was like the reverse is true. When they do lose, that's all he wants to talk about is blame them. So, by these standards, <laughs> what, why do these people even bother to race? If Ellie St Pierre shows up and runs and gets beat, John Rips her. If she wins, he's not going to expect her to dominate. I don't want to give her any credit for showing up and racing.
1: That's all right. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying a biggest story like in college football, when the number one team beats an unranked team, do we get a big story about that? No. When the number one team loses to an unranked team, is that a big story? Yes. That's how it works, Robert. Like, when people do what they're expected to do, you don't sensationalize it. It's not a huge story. Now, that said, look, Cole Hawk is 20 years old, and the fact that he's reached the point in the sport where he can just show up, he's expected to win the US titles in the 3K and the 1500, which only, I think only two other men have ever done in history at this meet, and then he does it and everyone's like, yeah, we expected you to do it. That's pretty nuts. Like, Cole Hawker, one, props for showing up and running USAs. Two, props for showing up and getting the job done. Absolutely. I'm not here to rip Cole Hawker. I'm just saying it's a bigger story when there's an upset than when there isn't an upset.
0: Fair enough. I think that the biggest story is what we didn't get to see. Coopatier. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's a real bummer. He was entered in the 1500. He's 4-0 against Cole Hawker in the mile 1,500 races. And then the day before the meet, he announces he's tested positive for COVID. Mild symptoms, according to his agent. And he's out of the 15. And that was just, that was a real bummer. Because I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen in that 1,500 final on Sunday. When when it was still Hawker versus Tier, And to have that one of the biggest showdowns of the of the meet. It's the first time they've raced each other with a U.S. title on the line. Kuba has never won a U.S. title. That would have been one of the races of the meet and we didn't get to see it. It's just a
2: shame. Do we think this will be it? The last race where they're testing people for COVID or do you think this is just going to be a common feature going forward?
1: Well, I don't know if you noticed. The, the meet was sponsored by BD, which is like a COVID testing company. And they needed to have... I think all athletes had to have two negative tests before the meet. So... Maybe they ext- if they extend this set this sponsorship, maybe we're still testing for COVID three years from now. You know who the hell knows what the world's gonna look like. But if BD is still the sponsor of the meet, maybe they do still test the athletes.
2: Wow, I hadn't really totally thought about that. But like the NFL during the playoffs quit testing. I think like asymptomatic people. So should USATF follow suit, or will they have this financial incentive like hey, BD is like you need to test. Oh my gosh. At least we got a sponsor, right?
0: Well, at the Ivy League meet, some of the coaches, when I was calling them ahead of time, were complaining about that. A lot of them were like, we're on pins and needles waiting for Friday. That's when their tests would come back. And one of the top, the number one seed in the men's 800 was out because he tested positive for COVID. But they were saying, one coach was saying, look, our school tests three times a week. Other schools have stopped testing entirely. So. I think I would have been tempted not to get tested. I guess you had to be tested, though, so... Just a shame. Just a shame. Okay, a couple other things uh, from the 3K.
2: Emmanuel Board deserves props on his indoor season so far. 13 flat, second place here. He's... Great season, right? And it's just interesting to look at the results. There was another big threat on Drew Hunter, the high school star. He has made one world's outdoor team and did win the 3K the last, well, I think it was the last USATF Indoor Championships from the B-Heat. The
1: two-mile. And there has been a chance. That was 2019. There was a 2020 chance. So, just sorry. getting my peevish nature. I'm correcting you there, that, but that's the facts.
2: I was wondering if there's another one. So, Drew's fifth in this race and kind of a non-factor at the end. But you look at it, I mean, the, it's such a fine line, what you need... Uh, to be a good runner. He's only one point two, three seconds behind second. And in the last race, so like that's sort of a non-factor. He was a little bit slower, like 0. 0.6 slower than the other guys. Connor Mance, Dylan Maggard, Emmanuel owl actually kicked within like 0. 0.1 of each other. So Bohr was quicker heading into the bell, kicked fat, and they all pretty much kicked the same. Drew slowed down a little bit, but it just shows. So much of racing, right? It's like, in a tactical race, you need the top end the last lap. And some of that is fitness, right? Cole Hawker, I think, is fitter than these guys in a 3K. I think he would beat them flat out time trial 3K as well. So it's just not about the kick, but I don't know. Drew Hunter fifth on paper, not that great, but not that far away
0: look i saw the thread about drew hunter read part of it first of all can people stop I'm, I'm really pleased that we have the upvoting and downvoting i think it's really helping the forum because you can tell people agree or disagree with the posts. that people will start these posts with fake news in the title or in the first post and or just overly mean stuff there was one today talking about how mary came we're talking about this later going pro in the, in the triathlon and says she's Said she could easily be a D one swimmer. She didn't say that. She said she probably could be a D- could have been a D one swimmer, which is a completely different mindset. This post about Cole ha- Cole Hawker, excuse me, about Drew Hunter. It was entitled "Drew Hunter still stinks," and I had to change that when I saw it. It was already two pages in, though. I just said Drew Hunter continues to struggle, finishes fifth at USA's or something. I don't think that's the right word. I just tried to soften to be more factual. Like you need to be factual when you're talking about that. He doesn't stink. He's fifth in the country. He just, Robert, not what we thought. that's an opinion.
2: I mean, I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't like the thread, but at some point, can a sports fan not say drew Hunter sucks? Like it's a sports fan being a sports fan. We used to sort of encourage that. Like, so something gets downvoted with the change the titles and all of them. I don't know. What?
1: Well, I actually would like to have this discussion because Drew Hunter is one of the most talked about runners on Let's Run. You know, his indoor season, so he won the 5K. He, obviously, he's been hurt the last couple of years. Basically, since he made the team in 2019 in the 5K, but then had to the scratch due to injury. It's been kind of a, a rough couple of years for Drew Hunter. But then he wins the US 5K road title back in November in New York. Opens up at Milrose, seven forty two, PB in the outdoor indoor PB in three thousand. But then he only runs thirteen fifty three in Boston for the five k. I mean, he's fifth in this race. So if you're a Drew Hunter fan, are you optimistic? You're like, okay, he showed some stuff. He was fifth, but you know, maybe if he comes around outdoors, he might be in contention. Or are you thinking, man, he didn't perform when it counted at USA's? Like, you're worried. How do we? How do you view this season by him? Like, I guess I to borrow from uh, Pardon the Interruption or Around the Horn, whichever one of them uses this gimmick, are you buying Drew Hunter or are you selling him right now?
0: i probably hold, but I, if anything, i have to sell. I mean, I don't think it was terrible. I think it's encouraging that he's healthy enough to race. This is obviously better than his last 5,000. But <laughs> who's the guy that told you this? I said the coaching change is not going to, he's suddenly not going to be this unbeatable runner. You know, I need to read, I didn't read all of the threads. Some people are saying his mileage is really low. You know, he already, I don't know if this is true. They think he needs to run more, but maybe, hello, do you remember when he got hurt? If people have bone density issues, they can't run a lot. I had guys at Cornell that just couldn't run a lot, and they may not be able to do the training they need to do to be an elite distance runner. So there are a lot of people in the U.S. that I think he's not going to touch this year. Grant Fisher is one of them. Woody Kincaid would be another.
1: Kupatia, Paul Chalimo. I mean, I think he's just, I don't think he's as good as any of those guys. And that's four right there. There's going to be some college stud probably. I mean, I just think he's behind, he's behind too many good guys right now.
2: Yeah, you guys nailed it. I'm not buying Drew Hunter right now. So that means I have to sell. I sell. I hold. the Where, where he is right now in his career, it's like, I mean, he did win the U.S. 5K road title. He's showing some potential, right? He did win an indoor title, but I'm like, I'm not seeing the Cooper Tier potential, the Cole Hawker potential. Right now, he go on the international level and make waves. I think he's more like, could he make the world's team, sneak on the team? Yes. Is it going to be a factor at the world's? I don't see that now. I hope he can get there. But... At the best, even you can, like, win a U.S. title, sneak one a road title here, something there, but that doesn't mean you're a factor in the world scene, right? And I think from where he was in high school, I mean, there's no guarantee you ever get to that level. But the expectations are there, and some people want to see it. It's still, how many years into his pro career are we? It's still a huge question mark of whether he turns out to be a top-level pro. Top, top top-level pro.
0: Yeah, and we can have this conversation about some of these 1,500-meter runners. I just think he gets more publicity because he's was huge in high school and he's got his own YouTube channel. Let's go to the men's 1,500. I watched that live. I was on the train on the way home. And I found it really interesting. Like Cole Hawker was way, way, way back, 10th place. I'm like, is he like purposely trying to put himself back there to work on his tactics? Like, what's going on? This is not a good spot to be in. And in the end, he barely got there got the win i enjoyed it he flashed the two baby so i like this race for him the sense of i just think practicing your tactics weaving through fields not panicking is good so that's a positive i felt like alan webb never really got to do that It was always time trial after time trial cool hawker did not get a lot of experience at oregon doing that he did have you know because of covid but he did have Last year, not every race was some super-rabbited race. So I just think running more tactical races is great for him. But I didn't really like the tactics that much. He needs to be careful in the future. He's. It also made me appreciate that Kiprop. Because how the hell could Kiprop do that to a world-class field and get away with it? He didn't get away with it all the time, but he did once or twice.
1: Well, he might have been on EPO at that point, Robert. That might have helped him get away with it. But... No, I, I watched this race. I was like, yeah, I, he was boxed in on the final turn and he finally got out wide. And I was like, you know, Josh Thompson had about three strides on him. I was like, if that's Stuart McSwain or someone like that, I don't think he, he reels him in. But, you know, in America, Cole is going to be able to make up that distance on most milers. So, but also, yeah, I'm going to posit this. Is tactical ability in the 1500 less important now the way championship finals are run? The winning time in the last two global finals have been 328 and 329. I mean, to survive the rounds, I think you do still need it. Look at Josh Kerr. He almost went out in the first round in Tokyo. But once you get to the final, it's just, it's been t- pure time trials. Is tactical ability less important now?
2: Well, yes. And a 328 race, tactics are less important unless everybody starts running 328. So, unless the super shoes really start making a huge difference. Tactics are less important. The more the race is like a time trial, the less tactics matter. But having said that, if the race goes out, if they go out in three twenty eight, but they run like a fifty five the first lap, if you pace it uh, a little more even, I think that can help you. So, but yeah, it still matters less.
1: Right. Well, I think that's one of Ingebrigtsen's hidden skills is that he's always he can run really fast. But he doesn't need to be right on the rabbit. If you remember in Florence last year, where he won that race in twelve forty-eight in the five k, he let the lead pack go and then he reeled them in. He's done the same thing in some of his fifteen hundreds. I think he know he's very good at going right to the line where he's still comfortable, but not like you know, redlining even if it's a really fast pace. I just think he's able to manage his pace very well. So that's one of his skills that not everyone. It's not immediately apparent, I would say. All right, anything else in these races or just, Robert, you wanted to rant about people not going to Worlds?
0: No, I want to keep talking about this Men's 1500 a little bit. I'm just, I've got the results in front of me. A couple of things pop into my head. I probably shouldn't say it because it's just going to anger a few people, but I'll say it. People here like to hear my unbatchers. I come down, and I. one of the big stories of the indoors was Colby Alexander, right? Wasn't he unsponsored? What do you want at Melrose? 352? 351? 352. But, if, and I say this from a voice of love, because the, the, the groups wouldn't p- pay Weldon when he was getting fourth at USA's. It was insulting. I think they offered him $12,000, so we said, we'd rather run for free, and we started Let's Run, so it worked out alright. But, People, oh, so Colby got a deal, I think, with Adidas. But guy's like 30 years old. He's finishing sixth at USA Indoors. I just, like, even behind, he is beating Craig Ingalls, who's seventh, who apparently is making way more now with Nike than he used to. But I'm like, Drew Hunter shouldn't feel so bad because I don't think these guys are going to be players. Maybe in an off year, they could sneak a third, but I don't think so. Like, I don't think they're going to be players on the U.S. scene in terms of, Make it impact players like we're thinking about Metal medal at Worlds. Even Johnny Gregor at ninth, Like, I don't know. I, I get why people are obsessed with the very top college people paying them and getting them because.
1: Well, you're talking like Craig Engels wasn't one of those guys. Craig Engels wasn't an NCAA champion college, but. He was damn close to it. He was the U.S. champion in 2019. I mean, Craig Engels is a world championship finalist. I feel like he's a little. It's kind of. I mean, he did run the 800 the day before, but I mean, it's more like oh, Craig Engels, I think, should be running better than finishing seventh at USA's. But also, Colby Alexander, who signed a deal with Adidas through 2024, he was wearing Adidas in the final. I talked to him after the race. He said he. His goal was to go out and race like he's run this season, try to make it really fast, see if anyone could hold on. But he said he tweaked his hamstring within the first 100 meters of the race. And he just couldn't push the pace like he normally wanted to. So that's why he wasn't able to run as fast, and that's why he only struggled to a sixth-place finish.
0: Then I take it back. I would have loved to have seen that. Put put the two cojones out there and see he comes home. That would have been great. So that that's nice, you know – to learn, but when I just when I'm looking at these 1500 million meter results, I think in my head, this is why Cooper Tier is running the 15. He may even run it outdoors because, you really think he's losing to these guys? I don't. I
1: I think he could beat everyone except Hawker in this race, but I also think outdoors Nagoose is going to be running. Centro we Centro always makes teams so. The three Olympians from last year, I think, will be tough to beat. But I can totally understand why Tia wants to face those guys instead of facing Grant Fisher, Paul Chalimo, and Woody Kincaid in the 5K.
2: And outdoors, I think leading's harder. you got to break the wind, that sort of stuff. Indoors, you don't have the wind factor. But you guys mentioned Craig Ingles. Let's talk about him. I mean, what happened in the 800? He just didn't even show up. Just a total non-factor. Shane Strike destroyed him in the in the prelim. Craig didn't make the final. I mean, that's just like I just expected so much more. Craig could run pretty fast this year indoors. It's like he wasn't there at the start. Like I, I just don't know if he did didn't realize what that pace would feel like. Thought, like, okay, I'll just kick at the end and it was too far behind. But after like he was just never in the race. I thought Shane Strike looked great. I think in the final. Shane, I don't know if the nerves got to him or what. He looked, when they came up on him, he looked a little nervous. Maybe there was nothing he could do at that point. I
1: don't don't think it's nerves. I think he got beat by two guys. Like, I thought Hopple and Harris would beat him because they're better at running than he is. And they did. You know, I I think he put himself in position to make the team, Shane Strike. And he just got beat by two superior athletes, I think. Engels, yeah. Engels has been very hit or miss. He's terrible at Milrose. Then gives Josh Kerr a pretty good run at the Lilac grand prix but then again usa indoors basically no shows in his two races so i I don't know what to make of him at this point
2: my hope is that getting destroyed will actually help him if he sneaks a world's team he could think oh things are going well he needs to look at his mirror in the mirror and decide like what am i gonna do with my career some of these other guys like if shane strike had made it that'd have been a huge step forward he's doing great all in all great indoor season by same thing with olivia baker Right, Atlanta Track Club.
1: Oh yeah, no, great, great year for them, and those two new additions to the team—they only both joined, you know, at the end of last last season, and clearly they've had. I mean, strike was coming on sort of at Lipscomb in his sixth year, but credit to Amy and Andrew Begley. You know, they've got they've won American record and one person on the world championship team from a group that hasn't had a ton of success historically. So props to them.
2: Yeah, they're one of the big winners of the indoor season for me because it's hard to put people on U.S. teams. A lot of these groups just, you know, like the BAA, they've never put anyone on a team. It's like it's hard to do. You need the top-notch talent generally to do it. The BAA sort of scooped up some people who were overlooked and has done it this year. I thought Baker looked great. You know, we are saying, oh, Wilson, the winning time, will, you know, over two minutes, it's not that impressive. But like Brooke Feldmeyer. She'd run pretty fast this year. They got they destroyed her the final lap. So it'll be interesting to see what they both do at Worlds.
0: But That's what I'm talking about. I think Weldon said BAA instead of Atlanta Tread Club. But Rich Kanaugh, 1997 World Championship bronze medalist. I trained with him once for a marathon. He's got creative ideas. He's created this group. They work a little bit. I think it's perfect. I was reading the great, I think it was Fast Women, John profile of olivia baker she turned down med school she was debating quitting the sport but you know she's joined the land truck club wants to stay in it through 2024 she has to work 12 hours a week that's how we started let's run it's boring being a pro runner you can't just surf the internet all day long it's not healthy so have a little bit of work a couple hours a day do your training get some money pursue the dream they did fantastic and i just think that I would really like to have someone, when Siegel goes, let's get someone like Kanaya at the head of Atlanta Track Club because I think he's done a very good job with diversity in Atlanta, huge black population there, creative ideas, new team, community work, hosting the trials. I see real leadership from him that I don't ever see from Max Siegel. All right, moving on. I want to talk about
1: Donovan Brazier. It's kind of amazing. We're an hour into this podcast, and we haven't talked about him yet because, to me, that was one of the biggest storylines of USA's going in. And then, based on what happened, it was nuts. It totally nuts, 24 hours for Brazier. Essentially, he runs the 400. He wins his heat, makes the final. But then he's told about half hour after the race, you were actually disqualified, which is too late. He was entered in the 800 as a backup just in case something goes wrong. It was too late for him to then run the 800. So he goes to bed and they show him, he appeals, and the officials show him why they DQ'd him. And he was puzzled. He was like, well, actually, I didn't do anything worthy of stepping on, you know, uh, being DQ'd. They said he stepped over the line or he stepped on the line two times in a row, whatever it was. And they were basically like, no, 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 this is why you were DQ'd. And he's like, I don't see it. I don't see what rule I broke. The appeal's denied. He goes to bed at 3 a.m. thinking he's not running the meet. He said he didn't say what he got up to in Spokane until 3 a.m., but he said he was pissed off, and he felt frustrated because he felt like he hadn't been DQ'd. He felt like he had been improperly DQ'd, and he said he did some things he wouldn't normally do the night before a race. He tries to get on a 6 a.m. flight home, but the flight's full. So if he had gone on this flight, he would have been in Portland. He would not have been able to run on Sunday. And then he gets the news at 11 a.m., three hours before his race. He's been reinstated. The officials have looked at video from NBC's footage. And that footage has shown them there was no clear DQ. So he's reinstated. Then he runs the final. He finishes second overall, goes from dead lost. He gets out really slow, dead lost in the second of the two-section final. But he passes two guys, gets second, hits the World Championship standard, makes the team, and then he's actually said now he's not going to be running the individual 400. He's just going to run the 4x4. But it was a totally insane 24 hours for Donovan Brazier.
2: Okay, John, a couple things. One, nobody cares because it's the 400. He's not going to do anything at Worlds.
1: It's Donovan Bracia. He's one of the biggest stars in American track and field. People care it about He chose what well. a joke
2: the appeal system stuff is. It should be done within three minutes, like in any other sport. This is a joke. How could you get it wrong and reverse yourself a day later? Complete joke. The two rules changes for indoors. We need that fixed. And we need, if the US, if you're top three, whatever, you make the team. I mean, figure it out, Pete, USATF, World Athletics, make it work. That's all I got to say. Guys. Little minor, not medical emergency, medical situation. I got to take care of with the family here. So I got to go. I'm sending you two posts that were highly upvoted this week. One, I think you guys need to tie this into Mary Kane and Spencer Brown at the same time. That's your homework when I'm gone, but I'm out of here.
1: All right. We'll try to do that. I mean, Robert, I assume you think you're entitled to know all the medical details of this emergency Weldon's going through, but. We don't need... I don't really care. You know, I hope everything's okay. But I don't need to know the intimate details. I don't feel like I'm entitled to them. Anyway, this Brazier thing... Wellm does bring up a big point here. I think the way this was handled was a farce. M- M- NBC, they did a great job with this broadcast, I think, in the bra- with the Brazier issue. They recognized it as a major story. And they said, okay... Here's what we've found from our footage. They saw they showed him stepping on the line, the outside of the lane line on the back straight, which is not a foul. And then they said, okay, that's not a foul. So why could he have been DQ'd De- De- then? And then they show another image, a couple S- you know steps, where he comes close to stepping on the inside line. And if you take one step on the line and not totally over it, that's not actually a DQ-worthy foul now on the curve anyway due to the new World Athletics rules, but they never showed anything on the broadcast that was a definitive foul. So if you're a fan of the sport, I'm, you're like, what the hell is going on here? He's one of the biggest stars in the meet. No one knows why he's been DQ'd. That's what was so frustrating to me. When I left the meet on Saturday night, I was just thinking, wait a minute. We don't know why Brazier's being DQ'd. USATF, they've, the officials have used this eagle eye system that's you know recording everything on the track that's the footage they've based the DQ on. I asked USATF, can I see this? Can I see why he was disqualified? They said, no, we don't release that. I was like, well, well, why not? Like, the, the fans deserve a right to know, right? And they're like, well, no, we, the spokesman I talked to was like, well, we don't view it that way. I, I just think that's absurd. If this star has been DQ'd, we get to see the holding penalties in the Super Bowl. We should be able to see these fouls by athletes at USA. So I thought that was ridiculous. And then I'm like, okay, well, why was he cleared? Because apparently the footage at NBC then actually didn't show a definitive foul. I just think the whole way this was handled was very frustrating.
0: Welcome to the club. You're at least seven months. Some might say four years late to the club, to the party. I was ranting about these Sam damn damn things. Someone play the Rojo rant music. What was I doing in Tokyo? When you were hobnobbing with your British friends, I was doing one of two things. Like, we spent a lot of money to get here. I was trying to talk to the ninth placer in the semif- in the prelim, that no one else was talking to, some African that, or something like that, the obscure athletes that weren't getting any press. And number two, I was writing editorials about how ridiculous the DQ process was. I wrote a column on, I mean, just in the last few months, on August 1st, 2021, the disgraceful disqualification of Francine Nian and then I wrote about the rule changes after they made some rule changes but my biggest complaint was how come there's no transparency why aren't you showing us this immediately with like, like the NFL like I think I even wrote another column I know I've ranted on the podcast about this we need to know within before they leave the track whether there's a foul called like you know you, ch- you throw the challenge flag you throw the, the that flag and then they can protest it or whatever this should not be that complicated I mean with the in the eight hundred when the American got tripped, help me out, John from USC. Isaiah Chewett. Yeah, we never saw the video there either. You know, the, the people in Tokyo are like, well, trust me. I'm like, can I see it? And I got in a lot of trouble with World Athletics when I said or on the podcast, or maybe I wrote, they said, well, We're not the rights holders. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You can use you can show people what happened. We need to see this video. And the track needs to enter. The real world really quickly so change the dates of the world indoors change the spell rule and change the dumb standards those would be little changes that would help a lot
1: yeah i will i'll just say the way the system works right now is an official will flag a foul and then that's unless the athlete appeals that that is enough the official spotting it on the track and saying it was a dq that suffices if the athlete appeals then they go to the review system which is uses this eagle eye footage. And then if that footage upholds the appeal, the sorry, if that footage upholds what the official said, the appeals denied. If it shows that the athlete was right, the athlete gets the appeal appeal upheld and they're able to compete. But then I don't know how this, like, does, I wonder if like Brage's agent maybe shows them the NBC feed or if NBC says, Hey, we couldn't see anything. Here's some extra information. Like, I don't know how it came to the jury of appeals reviewing this NBC footage, but Donovan Brazier should not be finding out three hours before his race that he's been reinstated. He needs to know the night before, Hey, you have a race tomorrow. You shouldn't be trying to find a flight home because how embarrassing would this have been is Donovan Brazier is reinstated by USATF. And then it's like, no, actually Donovan Brazier's is on his couch in Portland right now. He went home because you told him he was disqualified. That's not how the sport should work. Now, VAR in soccer, it has its flaws. But that is the model here for how this should work in track and field. After a, after a race, the official has the, the flag. They say, hey, Thank this you. is the foul. And then they show on the video board, this is the angle we're using to review. It's from the Eagle Eye system. You, maybe you hire an extra staffer who is monitoring this thing the whole time. They say, okay, here is the incident in question. Did he step on the line? Oh, okay, he did then the foul, then the foul's upheld and he's DQ'd. Or wait, we don't have clear evidence that this was a foul. If you don't have clear evidence, that should, then the athlete should be reinstated. And you handle it and you show it on the big screen so all the people in the meet see exactly what he's being DQ'd for. Okay, would this cost a little extra money and resources? It might, but I think it's worth it for the fans.
0: I think for the finals or the, I mean, the major events, they should do it exactly like that in real time at Worlds. But I'll read from my November column, World Athletics' rule changes are a step in the right direction, but I talked about Tokyo. I repeatedly asked World Athletics for an explanation for why these decisions were made, meaning the Jewett and Ninsaba uh, fouls or trips. Let me say that more clearly. I repeatedly asked World Athletics for an explanation for why these decisions were made, and to be shown in the race video used to make their decisions. Not only do World Athletics repeatedly refuse to do so, they even went so as far to tell me they weren't the video rights holder and therefore couldn't show me the video. Please, both journalists and fans can be shown the video under the fair use doctrine. Moving forward, the fans and athletes need to know if a race is under review before the athlete steps off the track. The review should be done publicly, like it is in other sports, whether it's the NFL or Premier League, and then announced to the crowd within a matter of minutes, just like it is in the major leagues. Sports leagues. Having a jury of appeals meet clandestinely without ever having to explain themselves is beyond antiquated. It's time to hire a public facing meet referee or referees for the biggest events. The way the current system works is horrible for everyone athletes, fans, journalists, and TV partners. No one would be tolerated if the outcome of a soccer match was overturned via VAR 45 minutes after it was over without explanation. Yet this routinely happens in track and field. There we go. Well, we've just solved the sport. So I guess but this is more the disturbing aspect here is John, I was going off on this since August, November. Do you just totally you 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 are like a you're like my you're like a it's like we've been married for like thirty years or something. You just totally don't even pay attention when I'm What do you mean, this,
1: Robert? I agree with you. I agreed with that article. I'm sure I edited that article when it was published. But I'm just saying it's come up again and look, here we are. This this is gonna happen again this is definitely, it is going to happen with someone at world indoors or the world outdoors this year in Eugene. There's going to be another issue like this until it gets addressed. We're going to keep having people DQ would for something mysterious reasons. Like, do you realize there were like eight other people between the 400 and 800 who were DQ'd and because not all of them are named Donovan Brazier, I'm sure they didn't get their cases viewed in the same light. Like, Sadie Henderson did get reinstated and she they made it a 7 person 800 meter final on the women's side but like I'm sure there are other athletes who are like well I w- I wish NBC had shown my possible de- lane infraction on the broadcast and they had shown the footage to the meet officials and got me reinstated it's just I don't know it can be complicated when you have 6 or 7 you know 6 or 7 athletes getting DQ'd in one event but I think they all deserve the same sort of fair treatment and that's why you got to you got to hire someone maybe who's just That's their sole responsibility is the replay review official to get this stuff right. All right. One other thing I I wanted to ask you a question here, Robert. If Christian Coleman and Grunt Holloway, two of the biggest stars in the United States, are running the US championships and they're running the world indoor championships, why isn't someone like Cole Hawker doing this? Why can't Grant Fisher do this? Like, why is it that running the World Indoor Championships will screw up a distance runner so much, but yet these sprinters can just go out there and it's going to be fine. Can you answer? Now, the one thing I will say, both those athletes do have the buy to World Outdoors, but a distance runner and sprinter is so different that these top athletes can do both meets and it won't screw them up, but someone like Hawker or Fisher or Brazier, they can't run the championships.
0: I mean, John, you're not new to the sport. First of all, the buy is huge, but secondly, I just think Distance runners, periodize their training a little bit more. But I would like to see them all there. Yeah, I just I don't
1: know. I I look back at Matthew Centurions when he won the Olympics in 2016. The World Indoor Championships were the same weekend in March. It was like March 20th was the final day. He won World Indoors in the 1500. He comes back. He won, wins the World Championships. Now, cried. Sorry, wins the Olympic gold. Now, granted, the Olympics are about three weeks later in 2016 than they are compared to 2022, 20, but I don't know. I, I'm i not going to rip Cole Hawker too much. I'm glad he showed up and run. Some people were saying on the message boards, well, why would he run USAs if he's not going to run the world championships? Well, yeah, it's he doesn't want to go all the way to Serbia. He's based in the east on the west coast of the United States. He doesn't want to go out there. He'd rather just focus on outdoors. I do kind of get that. Yeah, I'd rather he, if he's going to race, I want him racing at USA's. It's the same th- reason why I ripped the Balman people because they are racing next week, but they're just doing some 10K. Grant Fisher has said in his podcast his goal is to get under 27 minutes. Now, maybe the American record does come into play there, but like I'd much, at least Cranny and Grant Fisher, I think they'd like to run the US championships. But Jerry Schumacher basically dictates the training, the racing schedules for that group. So if Jerry says they're gonna do the 10K, that's what they're gonna do. I I don't know. I just I'm glad Cole Hawker ran USAs instead of some pointless meet where it doesn't matter. You know, I'd rather he do that than nothing at all in terms of USAs or worlds. And by the way, if Cole even if Cole Hawker and Grant Fisher weren't going to run the world championships. If they both ran a 3K at, what, at USA indoors, that would be a great race that people will get excited about. I think that's a lot better than, you know, that's better for the sport than Grant Fisher going and running this 10K time trial that's going to be at midnight, past midnight on the East Coast, as opposed to running a national championship against Cole Hawker in a 3000 meters. Clearly, one of the that race is much more exciting to me than a 10K at 12:30 p.m. The 12:30 a.m.
0: I think I said it on the Friday 15. Look, if, if Fisher goes for the American record, he gets to get out of jail card for that. But they need to announce it. I think he's trying to, like, lowball this and not admit that he's going for the American record. They do this negative split crap. So that bothers me. But it's just not just Americans. Josh Kerr's not going. I mean, can these people not learn from Jacob Bingham Doesn't he race all the time? He won the damn Olympics and then won the European cross-country.
1: Rob, are you you're 100 certain Jakob Ingebrigtsen's running the world indoors? Though, where have you seen that? Why wouldn't he? He races all the time. Why wouldn't he? For the same reason these other athletes aren't doing it. I'm not. I just I don't know for sure if he's doing it. or no, I hope he is. I'm knows. getting
0: on a damn plane, going to a war zone practically, and I'm going. I guess my influence just isn't as big. I thought once people heard Rojo's going, they'd all hop on the damn plane.
1: Actually, no, that's something I said to Hawker afterwards. We were talking, and I'm like, are you going to go to the Worlds? And he's like, wait, is Rojo going? I'm like, oh, yeah, he's going. He's like, oh, actually, all right. I, that's – I think he might have decided – no, I'm just I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But it would be funny if someone's like, wait, will Robert Johnson from Let's Run be there? In ca- if so, I'm not going. I don't want to talk to that guy. So That didn't happen. All right. I mean, Coleman and Holloway, we did talk about them. They both won as expected. Coleman tied the world lead at 645. He looked good. He said he's excited to run against Marcel Jacobs at the World Championships indoors. That's is, that's is going to be probably the race of the meet, right, Robert? The Olympic champion versus the world champion in the 60. I know the 60, it's kind of hard to get really excited just because it's so quick, but that's the race we didn't get to see in 2021, and now we're getting it at World Indoors, Jacobs versus Coleman. I think that's going to be great.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think Hallway's win streak in that event. It's going to become something big in the years to come.
1: He's not... The the crazy thing about this, though, Robert, is in the 60 hurdles now, it's a little longer if you go back to the lower height, but at the professional height, the 42-inch barriers, it's at 47 now. He's still not half... He's not even halfway to Edwin Moses, which just makes you think how ridiculous Edwin Moses' streak was. I think it was 122... Counting prelims, but yeah, Holloway he'll be favored to go, and he's going to the world indoors. That's exciting. And just a f- couple final thoughts on
0: Spokane. I want to know what it was like there. Was yeah. it a huge crowd? Was it packed? What was this? What did the track look like? Was it better than the, like a the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix or Melrose? Tell us what it was like.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a good atmosphere. The crowd, it was sold out. I did see a few empty seats on Sunday, but when they claimed it was sold out, but it was pretty. The stands were pretty much full. They went into it. They were loud. They were getting into the races. Good cheering. Grant Holloway was like sort of yell, you know, telling them to pump it up and that sort of thing, and they responded to him well. So the crowd wasn't quite as full on Saturday, but it was still pretty. You know, it was close to full. So it was well-supported. Now, granted, this is an indoor track. I would guess the home street probably had 3,000 seats, if that. Like, it's not like it's going to be as hard to sell out as it is sort of the outdoor venues. But I thought this meet was well-supported. The crowd was into it. The facility is very nice. And it was located, Spokane, Hidden Gem, I would say. I, I I didn't see the whole town because basically the nice part about this meet is the Spokane River runs right through town. You got the downtown is south of it. And then just north of it is the track and a cup another arena. And there's like also this waterfall is right in the middle of town as well on the Spokane River. So I really I thought it was a really nice setting for the meet. Downtown's right close to the arena, so there are some nice down, bars and restaurants to go to and all the hotels are there. So it's very walkable, very everything centrally located for hosting a meet. I I thought it was a great city to visit. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, There's a nice running trail on the grind. It was kind of snowed over along the river when I was there. But, you know, I, I think they built this new facility. They did a good job hosting it. The crowd was into it. It's a nice place to visit. I wasn't sure what to make of Spokane going in, but I would definitely go back. I think they earned the right to host some major meets going forward. I think, and kudos to USATF for moving it around, giving them a chance. I don't know who was bidding against them. It's probably just Albuquerque, but yeah, I, I think it was a good job, good thing for the sport. This is another venue that's capable of hosting nationals. I'm glad it happened.
0: We need a rotation. I just think a small city like this without major league sports is going to be way more likely to support it, but they're not going to do it every year. So maybe once every five years it goes to Spokane, once in Boston.
1: I have one altitude here in Albuquerque. I know the distance runners don't like it, but that place will, has supported elite track in the past. So you got three, maybe find a couple. Of, do we have it in Staten Island again? I, w- I didn't go to USA's when it was in Staten Island, but I know it's a nice facility.
0: But we've got to stop doing everything in Eugene. Weldon keeps texting me, have I applied for Worlds? I have no, I've never even seen the new track in Eugene, and I have no desire to see it. I go to Eugene <laughs> so often. No, I don't. And people you are, have no desire. Wow. No, and everyone's like, "Oh, I've got to get ready for the worlds because it's in the U.S." I don't. That's not going to do anything for me either. I don't think we're going to track suddenly going to be popular because we have a meet in Eugene, Oregon. Whoa! We've been having meets in Eugene, Oregon for the last 10, 15 damn years. Hasn't made track more popular. So, uh, <laughs> no, it, you know. Sorry, guys, to bust your bubble on that, but Walden has sent us these links. He wants us to talk about these most popular threads.
1: Well, the first one. Why would someone run USA's and not Worlds? We kind of go, already got into that. I mean, Cole Hawker, if he wants to run the U.S. Championships, it's a very quick, quick plane flight from Eugene to Spokane. He can get some a little. He can get some money, There's prize money for winning. He gets national titles, There's prestige. But he doesn't want to fly all the way to Serbia, you know, and he wants to just. It's three more weeks of extending his indoor season rather than refocusing and maybe taking a break. You know, he has hit it kind of hard with the fast mile in Chicago and now double at USA's. He may just want to reset. They He said the whole time. This year, he's been focused on world outdoors. That's where everything, they're taking a long-term approach, and that's been the meat they're focused on. You know, last year, he was focusing on the NCAAs. He was a college kid, but it's different this time around. So that is, I think we already kind of addressed why you'd run
0: USA's but and not the world's. Ostrich, this is specifically the post that Weldon was linking to, has said, contract probably includes bonuses for U.S. titles. Probably saw how weak the fields were, so he did a quick flight to Spokane for a quick payday. I bet he was planning on doing either anyways. I mean, he thought he would going to have to make a scoop or tear. I don't think he thought it was going to be easy. I would like to reach out to it. John, you should do this. Write this down as a note. Reach out to some agents to see if it does include bonuses for USA Indoors. If there's any World Indoor bonus, how does that compare to outdoors? I mean, we talked about making the sport better. Craig Mosbach, who used to be the head of USATF, and now is the guy in charge of sort of those contracts at Nike. Maybe he could help. I, as I proposed on other day, put some one-third of the bonus on the indoors for the distance runners to make them go to that, or the sprinters. I mean, obviously, uh, Usain Bolt are 100-meter guys and that may not be good at the 60, but 200-person can't really do the 60. Delilah Muhammad's a 400-hurdler. She can't really do that indoors, but I don't know. I feel like if we made the money, if you put the money there, even the rankings like us, we shouldn't just blow it off. I think we should count it more. So anyways, the second post that he wants us to talk about is regarding a woman who is talented enough that she's gone pro in a second sport. Mary Kane, former team phenom, it's come out that she's going to become a triathlete now. I think she's running a race this weekend where she's trying to get her pro card. I'm not really sure. What that means, but there was a thread on her this week. Well, I thought he said it was on her, but this one appears to be on Spencer Brown, the athlete special. Explain who he is to people, John.
1: Well, he ran at Georgetown. He has a he's a YouTuber. Last year, he tried to join the Brooks Beast. Basically, he was training with them, and if he did well enough, he they would give him a contract. He didn't. I don't think he did well enough because he doesn't have a contract now. But someone was basically posting, saying, why are you so interested in his end game?" like right, well, Here's the initial comment. Glad to see he seems to have turned his career around, but that leads to a question. What is his end game Hoping to get a contract? I think we can all agree that will never happen, or at least enough that he can make a living from it. Does he have a job that pays at all? Does he really make any money from his YouTube channel? And even if he does, how long will that pay? There are many former college runners who now have full-time jobs and can still run meets like this, but it's getting to the point where he have to, has to admit to himself he'll never make a U.S. meet or Olympic trials. And even if he was so quick to sweep into a nationals, what does that get him? And this poster responded and just said, why are you so interested in his end game? I think his end game is to know he gave it his best shot to see how fast he could become. I wish I had done the same when I had a chance. And Weldon noted in his email to us, I was 27 when I moved to Flagstaff and people said I should do something productive with my life. And I think that people are saying, like, it's sort of pushing back on the initial poster, like, Well, Spencer Brown, he's kind of gone long enough. We kind of, he's kind of concluded he's not going to be good enough to do anything significant in the sport. But I think the other poster, the person who responded to him, has it right. Like, if he wants to keep running in his career, that's up to him. I don't know how he pays the bills, but if he wants to keep going until he's 27 or 28, pushing it and seeing if he can keep personal running PRs, I think that's up to him.
0: Yeah. I think the post Weldon wanted me to highlight. Maybe give it out a pair of shoes. So if you wrote this self-driven, email Weldon Johnson at let'srun.com. Is can he just run for the same reason a lot of people run, trying to get the best out of himself, see how fast he can go, how good he can be? It seems a strange mentality. That you have to be pro, or not run. At all. I like this pose, I like Weldon's doing that. Although earlier in this show, I was sort of criticizing people like Colby Alexander and Craig Ingalls, Like, are they ever going to make a team? I'm just saying, like. If those people think that their best days are ahead of them, I think that they may be behind them. So it seems to me like the advice I would give a young person is, let's go all in for three or four years. And hey, if you love it, you can keep doing it. I've said this before. I don't think Tom Brady should have to retire just because he can't win a Super Bowl anymore. And I'm saying he, I'm not saying he can't win a Super Bowl, but like if LeBron <laughs> wants to be a backup at age 50 in the NBA, that's fine with me. He doesn't have to be a superstar. So, But I do think people should acknowledge that. I mean, finances do play a role in life when you get older and have kids, particularly. So, but it's definitely, you know, a, a good thread there. And I guess if we're tying this into Mary Kane, I think it's great that if trying to be a triathlon, triathlete makes her happy. I mean, she said she used to swim as a kid. She said that was the most team she felt a part of. She never really fit in on her track teams in high school. wasn't really part of them. So she's been training with some people, but... When I read the article, I sometimes wonder, like, is she still searching? Like, she thinks she needs to be an athlete. I hope that's deep down just she enjoys the process. I don't think she's going to be an elite triathlete. I thought that the article was a little bit strange in the sense that it said she took off November, December to get ready with healthy, to get totally healthy. and Now she's going to be rocking a good triathlon in March. How is that possible?
1: Well, I don't know how it's possible. I don't know, really. Like, you would th- you would think the one big advantage she would have going to the triathlon should be it should be a much better runner than most of the triathlon But I don't even know if that's true anymore because she hasn't really done anything running wise some time. So who knows? Like, yeah, I wish her the best in this venture. What I find interesting about this whole thing is Mary Kane says she's becoming a triathlon. Mary Kane, who is not in terms of on-track performance has not really been relevant for about six or seven years. But if she, she announces that on some random Wednesday in March and the thread immediately goes super hot, Mary Kane becomes a pro triathlete, claims she could probably have been a D1 swimmer. That's super hot on the Let's Run message board. People still care about Mary Kane and the Let's Run World, Robert, even if she hasn't run anything very fast for quite some time.
0: Well, yeah, she's in a name. She means something to me. I don't know who half these people, young people are.
1: It's just interesting, like, the fascination. Her, Webb, Ryan Hole. Like, there are some people, if, you, if you're a high school phenom and you drop a couple of crazy performances early, like, I wonder if this, will this still be happening? Like, Drew Hunter, let's see, let's say five years from now, he decides to become a pro triathlete. Is that thread going to go super hot? Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting, the attachment. Like, if you become a high school star, people, they'll they'll always be rooting for you, I think.
0: Before we get out of here, do we really even talk about Josh Kerr's 348 mile? Negative split, 156, 152. Super impressive, but... From a performance standpoint, but does this depress you at all a little bit, John? I'm going to sound like you here, the way it depressed me.
1: Well, what I saw was wait a minute, the British Championships are on the same weekend and he's going to run some random meaningless mile. And well, I guess, you know, he broke the British record. But personally, I'd be like, I don't know. It'd be kind of nice to have him at the British Championships. I guess it's a longer flight from Albuquerque and he's not going to run World indoors. So if, you could, if you're going for a record, I do kind of get it more than What bow, I mean, same thing with Bowman, right? We said if they're going off the American record, you kind of get it, but yeah, again, I if you, I feel like we've proposed this idea, there shouldn't be any racing outside the national championships on this weekend, it should be a protected weekend. So that's kind of what I thought. What did you think about this, Robert? I mean, it's cool, I was, it's cool. I thought it was a cool race, like 156. I think that might have been his first 809, but he closed in 152. It was a really terrific performance, no doubt, but. I'd be pumped if I'd be like, "Oh, Josh Carr, he's going to run world indoors. He's going to take on Jakob Ingebrigtsen." You know, I'd like to see that as well, and that's not in his plans.
0: Yeah, I just think it's I was depressed by it in a sense of I saw a clip from someone in the stands on their phone. There was like no PA announcer. Just it was almost like watching someone do it in practice. Like it wasn't like couldn't he do this at one of the European meets? Hype it up or, hell, go to – this is one thing I propose. Maybe we get rid of rabbits totally for record attempts. It's you versus the clock. Why not just enter the British Tramps and do it right there?
1: I think that would have been cool. I would have liked to see that.
0: Now, he wanted the mile record reaction. as well. Like, I, if I but. wanted to do this, I just I think I would want the fans going nuts. It's kind of like the NFL – I think we'll have books and statistics written about it. It didn't honestly seem like the NFL was that much different of these sports without fans in terms of performance. People say, oh, the fans make a big difference. I don't really think they do. And there's the book Scorecasting where they said that the only statistical thing they ever found out about fans was it impacts the referees. People shoot the same free throw percentage, etc. cetera. So he may not have run faster with fans, but it just seems cooler with fans. Seems more important. So you're all into like a meet must be live-streamed for it to count. To me, it's like we need to promote it ahead of time as an American record attempt. If they did, I didn't know about it. it wasn't on Let's Run. I'm not saying it has to be on Let's Run, but reach out to us. They put it on a free stream, not behind some paywall.
1: Oh, I knew about it. He said beforehand he was going for a British record. This was not something he was trying to hide. He said he was going for the 1500 and the, the mile British
0: record. Okay, well, then if you know something like that, can you just let us know so we can put up? I, th- I thought you knew about this. I guess it, well, you must have missed Maybe, it. I was in but... New York. I may not have been paying attention. Do we have anything up about? Should we be excited about this? I was excited. I watched it live. You did. I did. Yeah, I knew it was happening.
1: Oh, Though they okay. started the race, I was bummed because I went on Twitter and they're like, COA comes through four hundred and like fifty, you know, five or whatever it was. I'm like, wait a minute. This race was supposed to start at 11 a.m. Pacific, Pacific, and it was like 10.53, and it already started. So I missed the first two laps. But anyway, all right. Impressive performance. We're not going to talk just for the record, people. We're not going to talk about the Tokyo Marathon or the 10 coming up this weekend. That's what the Friday 15 is for. We know those are big events. We know you're excited and you want to hear about them. But if you want to listen to our preview you got to join the Let'sRun.com Supporters Club. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. That's where we do our second weekly podcast, only available to Supporters Club members, and we preview the weekend action. It's going to be a good weekend of racing. So make sure you sign up for that to listen.
0: It's going to be amazing. Tokyo, live, primetime, U.S. television. We don't have to get up early, have a cold one. We might know more about whether Fitch is really going to get the American record or not. The the one other thing I wanted
1: to mention, we did tease it in the intro. Yard Nagoose at ACCs. I, when I saw this result, I was just like, "What the hell happened?" I saw the results of the ACC DMR. He ran the ankle leg. He only split four flat. He they he was right there. You know, I think he was right off the leader at the bell. You know, you'd think, okay, he's the best miler in the NCAA. He's gonna win. He ends up getting beat by Virginia Tech. What happened? Well, what happened was he went out in 54 really fast for some reason. Maybe they're trying to run a workout or something. He didn't run any individual events in this meet. And then coming around the final turn, he was in the lead, but he stumbles, loses his balance, falls. Virginia Tech passes him. Notre Dame ends up getting second. I'm not really concerned. I just feel like, you know, he fell or whatever. what, What was your reaction? To this result, does it worry you at all for his chances at the 3K DMR double at NCAAs, Robert?
0: Yes. I mean, it doesn't make me more confident. I got a text on when was that, Thursday night? From a buddy. It didn't say anything. It was just like a five second clip that he had taken off the screen. I'm like, why did he send me some random picture of somebody falling down in a race? And then I went on the message board. and I was like, oh, this must be the race. So as the leader of the Nagus bandwagon, who I wanted him to get paid a lot. I'm kind of worried about this. Why would you take it on 54? I never thought about the workout idea. But it's just weird. To me, it's kind of interesting. Like, he only does one event. No individual events at the conference meet. Like, my superstars at Cornell ran like four events. Now, as a fan, it kind of sucks he only does one event. As a coach in his best long-term interest... They got him to come back. A lot of these kids would have been pro. I get it, makes sense. They're they're treating him right, so that's the problem with the sport. They're probably doing the right thing coaching wise, but I still think he's going to be hard to beat in the three thousand because he's got such good wheels. Who's going to drop him? And then maybe he was practicing going hard because maybe if he gets, in case he gets the baton in the DMR way behind, he's going to have to try to catch up.
1: Yeah, but isn't that not? I mean. That's not how you catch up in the DMR. You try to even split it, right? And just run as fast as possible. You don't like that's the temptation is to sprint to catch up to someone, but normally you want to do it nice and even, right? So you're maximizing
0: you're in the fastest possible time. I'm just shocked that he got this baton in the unless he's doing a workout, like you get the baton right behind first. You just sit there. You're an Olympian. You just sit there and wait, jog around, blow blast their doors off.
1: You know what? I, I think I need to reach out to Sean Carlson the Notre Dame coach to get to the bottom of this, see exactly what happened. Yeah, he's doing the three K DMR double at NCAAs, so we'll be, he will be favored in
0: both, but we'll see. The thing another the result that caught my attention last weekend was Femme Bull. Bronze medals in the four hundred hurdles, she's only like not that much younger than I mean, she's Well, she's 22 years and seven days today. Sydney
1: McLaughlin is 22 years, 207 days.
0: So she's younger than Sydney. She runs 50-30 at the International Champions indoors. It's a world lead, I believe. Or am I wrong about that? Someone's gone 49s, actually, I think, this year.
1: I mean, fifty that's good, but Sydney McLaughlin ran fifty thirty six back in 2018. Four years ago. Like, and t- She's she's very good, but sh- I, she's yet to prove that she's on McLaughlin's level yet in the flat or in the
0: hurdles. I guess it seems, it seems like, well, she's actually getting legit speed, but Bull did run 50.63, I'm saying, last year. And 50.37 outdoors last year. So she's been pretty good to be honest. But I've just like... Is there any chance she ends up having a better career than Sydney? I guess Sydney's already gotten the world record and the Olympic gold, but it just seems to me that Bull really loves the sport. She reminds me of, of Warholm, Like racing and competing. And Sydney, I don't get the same. She does the Olympics, and then we don't see from her, hear from her.
1: Yeah, but Sydney's better. I mean, she doesn't race as much, but She's more talented. She was an Olympian at 16. Like, I don't think Bowl will have a better... Just because you race more, that doesn't mean you're going to have a better career. She might win more national or European titles or whatever, but obviously Sydney can't win European titles. But McLaughlin, she she's shown up. Like, her biggest race of the year, 2019 and 2021, she's delivered in both of them. She has two world records and a world title. I mean, is Femke Ball ever going to get one world record or a global title? She might get a global title if McLaughlin retires, you know, the next few years. But I don't, I don't know if she'll ever get that world record.
0: That would be amazing if they had a career forever, and like McLaughlin was just a little bit better than her the whole time. I think Femke will get a world title. Sydney will either get hurt or get beat. But pretty interesting, exciting stuff. Hopefully, she's a world indoors too.
1: All right, well, I think that's going to do it. We had a lot to talk about. But there was a lot of action. It was a busy weekend of track and field. We're going to have more busy weekends next week. I mean, this weekend we have Tokyo and the 10. So we already said if you want to listen to our takes on that before the race, sign up for the Supporters Club, and you will be able to hear us discuss them in depth on the Friday 15. And then after that, Robert, you and I are going to be travel buddies the next few weeks. Trip to Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. Next weekend for the NCAA Indoor Championships, and then after that we are off to Belgrade, assuming you get your accreditation approved for the World Indoor Championships. So you're gonna be seeing a lot of me and you're gonna be seeing a lot of indoor track. Are you looking forward to that, Robert? You look like you have a puzzled expression on your face right now.
0: Well, hearing world indoors, I'm just wondering where my accreditation is. I received information that I had applied but I haven't been approved yet. Well, it reminded me of the war over there what's going on i'm so pissed about this i don't understand why rojo rant here i feel like we should take every oligarch every penny they have and confiscate it immediately worldwide make these people pariahs and that would go a long way to putting major pressure on someone to take out putin to me this is obvious real quick that's one thing we should be doing not a couple weeks not a couple months yesterday should have happened so to the people of ukraine i may make a t-shirt for you or something I told my wife if I was single, I think I might be joining the forces over there. <laughs> John, you don't have any any kids. If
1: you were single, you would fly to Ukraine and fight for the Ukrainian people, Rubbit? You would do you that. Would contemplate it. I'm calling bullshit. There is no way you would do that.
0: I read some go some old guy from Britain. He's like, he's you know, he's not really rich. He's like, I think he used to be in the military. He's like, I'm just kind of like renting a place. He's like in his fifties. He's like, what else do I have better to do? John, your legacy could be to free them. And if you want, if you're worried about your genes not going on, John, we could store your genes in a sperm bank, and then I could be in charge of your legacy if you'd killed over there. People would love oh to have God. the Hebrew John be their father. Oh
1: my God! I mean, Robert, since you grew up in Texas, I'm assuming you're at least somewhat familiar with how to work a firearm. But I feel like these the you'd just be overwhelmed. You you'd be totally in over your head trying to defend Kiev or kiev or however they pronounce it now from these russian forces i don't know i that's might be the one the most ridiculous thing you've ever said on this podcast and that's well saying
0: something. I, I we shouldn't jo- i mean I, i'm not trying to be like i'm not trying to joke about this to me it's just really my wife said it best she's like this reminds me of right after 9 11 all i do is wake up i just scroll my phone i have a lot of sympathy for those people it reminds me I, i've been to poland a lot for world cross or world indoors and the thing that i was that really struck me about Poland was they were really, 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 really proud of the fact they didn't roll over like the French in World War II. They fought as hard as they could. And I I think we're going to see that in Ukraine. So my sympathy to anyone who's there or has family over there because it's kind of a scary situation. All right. We'll see you guys on Friday. Bye-bye.